This is Get Uncomfortable, the podcast where we talk race, politics, and so much more with me, Adam Smith. Biracial, mixed, mulatto, multiracial are some of the less harmful and triggering words used to describe children who are the products of interracial relationships, relationships that were until recently illegal in many states and are now becoming more prevalent. But what about the kids, the products of interracial relationships? The idea that mixed race kids will save the world is a myth that even President Obama couldn't live up to. The reality is that multiracial children often struggle with their own traumas that are rooted in familial colorblindness and parents who are not willing to acknowledge their child's blackness and the real impact that anti-blackness will have on their child's well-being. Today, we're joined by my friend and colleague, Sharice Frainer. Sharice, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your identity, and that of your children. Thank you, Adam. I use the she pronouns. I currently live in Portland, Oregon. I've lived here for over 20 years. I myself identify as white. I have been told my whole life that I was actually um, 100% German. That was my understanding. Uh, But last year, which we'll talk about later, I had a DNA test and learned that I'm actually 80% English and 20% Scandinavian. So that shifted a lot in how I identified my last name is actually German. My father um, identifies as German. Um, I, however, am not German. So I don't know if that's a family secret that has gone to the grave with my mother. I was raised in Las Vegas, Nevada, actually outside of Las Vegas, Nevada, very rurally in a trailer with my eight brothers and sisters. So had what one might consider a low, but still, you know, survivable family income standard. Um, Mother stayed at home and raised her nine children. My stepfather worked as a tradesman outside the home. One thing I think is important to note in this conversation is I would say confidently that both of my parents, as well as their parents, held um, offensively, uh, offensive, very racist, let's just racist beliefs. They acted on those beliefs. They colluded with other racist people. I was raised in an environment that gave value to race um, and always encouraged to maintain my dating and certainly my marriage if I, you know, when I were to get married, not if, but when I was to get married, it was to be within our family race. So I would have you know, been encouraged my whole life to marry a white person. And one of the things that you and I have talked about a little bit off mic is not just race, but religion. You were a part of oh, sure. a religious group that a was, sure. yeah, that was pretty strict and, as you said, uh, cultish in in your view. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't just it wasn't just marrying within the race; it was marrying within oh, the no. religious group, within the correct? cult. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely, and that's one of the considerations I think that's really, I guess I should back up, Adam, and say I am so happy to be here. This is something I feel so passionate about, and we actually met just for those who uh, might be listening. Um, we met in a situation where I came to you and said, "You are who I need right now." What you are saying and bringing to the larger audience, especially within academia, uh, I need right now. It's necessary for my professional life, sure. But I'm being more selfish and saying this is actually about my personal life and I need you right now, Adam. So um, this whole conversation we have today is not um, anything but... I have been led to you and I am so lucky to have met you with your arms open to talk about this with me and work through some of me, my considerations as, and let's say it, as the white mother of black children. Mm, You're so sweet. Thank you. No, thank you. And so I am happy to be here. these These considerations are things that I have had in my heart for 23 years now, 23 years, and I'll tell you why it's so much longer than we might have talked about before, but about 23 years, these have been considerations um, that I've had. Um, Just to back up a little bit, I did leave my family home at 17. I recognized cult uh, was not something I was comfortable with. The cult also, let's be very clear, um, was founded on racist beliefs, um, misogynistic beliefs homophobic belief, um, control, um, power to men. Uh, so there was lots of pieces of the cult that um, were problematic. And my parents both fed into and uh, maybe even, well, they were born within the cult. So I, it was part of their, what they might even consider uh, part of their culture is the idea that they would be supreme intelligence, election from God, righteous assignment to the white race. So, I mean, there's, uh, you know, historic concerns within my family and the cult um, that tie into why there are so many concerns and how they have become so um, big in my life. So I do have, let's talk about them. I have two biological children. Um, I have a stepdaughter, Isabel, who lives in Atlanta right now. Uh, she is 24. Although I am a, div- a divorce from her father, um, I do maintain a relationship with her. I've learned a lot from her about this topic in particular. Issa, and I actually asked her today because I wanted to get it right. Issa identifies as, quote, I say mixed, specifically Afro-Latina and white. Gigi is my biological, oldest biological child. They use the they pronouns. Uh, they identify as non-binary. And they, I've heard them say both, I am Afro-Latinx. And I've heard them say, I am Black. So Gigi identifies with um, different, may identify differently in different contexts. And then 
of course, Lucian or Lou is a whole ass black man. So <laughs> we'll talk about that today too. Yeah. So Lou's 14. Oh, he's 14. Yeah. And when, and, and when we met, when we met in your, in your hood in Portland um, mm-hmm. at a conference and we were at that conference, we were talking about Lou, right. And talking about your acknowledging him as a whole black man. And I think one of the challenges that I always have with mixed and I have, and people it, bottom line, you identify the way you want, just like what pronouns you use and what your gender is, right? You you have a choice and your journey is your journey. But one of the struggles was you realizing that, and, and I've written about this and dealt with this, is that you get out into the world and you realize it matters less what I feel about myself and more about the world sees in me, right? And there are real life and death things that we have to equip our multiracial Black children to deal with. And you were in a really good space of saying, my son Lou is a whole Black man. He is just struggling in acknowledging that with feeling like he is not valuing or denying me and my heritage, can you talk a little bit about that challenge as a white parent of Black children who are multiracial, who at some point may feel like if I acknowledge and say I am Black, that somehow I am not recognizing or valuing my my one parent who is not black and how you coach mentor and how you've grown in your understanding of really what blackness is um over time thank you for that question and i might reframe it adam and i might say it is not any concern, and I, I don't believe, I have never heard any movement towards, and I certainly had never considered it until I saw your question or heard this question, is I don't want to frame it as losing some part of heritage. You and I both know that systemic racism has put the, you know, the predominant or the default experience and um, everything from greeting cards to baby dolls, we know, you know, really are centered in whiteness. So it has never been an issue that there would be any diminish- diminishing of whiteness um, because of identification with blackness. The concern has always been, mom, am I black enough? If you are my parent, and more, the nuance we could go to, Adam, is Today, we're talking about white moms of black kids. I mean, we really need to, you know, to think about this is, you know, something we could talk about forever. Not only that, but I am a single white mother to black children. More so, I am a single white mother to black, a black son. I'm also a single white mother to Afro-Latinx humans. So there's a bunch of identities here. There's maleness there's and non-binaryness. There is Afro-Latinxidave, you know, to be what is Latinizade? How do we identify being, you know, where is it? Um, mom speaks Spanish. Dad is a native Spanish speaker. My Spanish is okay, but I'm Afro-Latinx. 
am I though? Am I enough? If I can't talk to mi abuela in Panama, am I Afro-Latinx? I'd like to reframe it to say, mom, am I black enough? Am I allowed to say I am a black man? And I mean, there've been plenty of incidents where classmates, people, strangers might question his blackness. I've heard or a parent said to me within the last year, oh, I didn't know your son was black when we talked about blackness. Or a, cl- a classmate was here in my home and I overheard, oh my God, yeah, this rapper said he was black. He's not black. He, there's no way he's black. He's a white. He looks like a white dude. In front of my very light-skinned son, who at the time was having big identity questions. And so um, there are certainly places that he has not had to defend his whiteness, but he is consistently having his blackness questioned from others, from himself. Um, And it goes to that question of being asked um, both to me when they were younger. um, That's not even an ask, it's a tell. Your kids are mixed. Um, it's not asking, it's telling me. And what it's really telling me is I identify that your children are of a different race than you. And what I'd love them, the people to say is rather, hey, tell me the race of your child. Because that's essentially what they're saying is your child is mixed. What are they mixed with? And, you know, every person is mixed with two people, right? So, of course, we're all mixed. And I know that sounds very naive, and of course that doesn't work. And the question for me was, how do we affirm whiteness in our home? And the simple answer is, we don't, Adam. That whiteness is affirmed everywhere else. And that's not their experience, frankly. They're Mm -hmm. not white. And so... Mm -hmm. They don't have to affirm their whiteness. No one outside of our home is affirming their whiteness. Once in a while, my son, as a very light-skinned man, will have his blackness challenged. And what you're saying is so good is that, you know, I forget the movie, right? (laughs) But I think it was Samuel L. Jackson, but he's in everything. It was basically (laughs) the whole movie was the opposite. And you basically could see how how much and how anti-black our society is, where the white folks were the minority. And so you turn on the TV and the, the white kids would want the black doll and the black commercials and women would be the beautified ones and the image, yeah. you know, and all of those pieces. It it reminds me of that. What I mean, obviously, you're in a place and have evolved as a human, as a parent, as an educator, as all the things, right? Um, as a mother. Um but what did you think, right, when when you were getting into relationship with people who are of other races and you said, okay, we're going to have children, what did you mm-hmm. think at the time your responsibility would be of, as a parent, you, I'm sure you didn't think, okay, we're going to get in relationship and I'm going to be a single mom at some point. You thought, okay, <laughs> as in, in a parenting Sorry. relationship <laughs> with somebody of a different race, what are my responsibilities going to be 
as raising a child who is, whether the child is half and half, and I'm not a half and half believer, I'm a 100% believer, right? And so Mm -hmm. what are my responsibilities going to be in raising a child who is of a different racial identity than I am? Did you think about that? And if so, what did you think? Oh, yeah. Well, and that goes back to the beginning. I definitely thought about it because I had to. My grandmother called me a person who I wasn't raised with. Uh, my parents divorced when I was seven or separated when I was seven. I wasn't raised with my father. Um, but I was called by, by both my father and my grandmother when they found out I was not only engaged, but going to marry. And then a year later, I parented for the first time my oldest child. So it wasn't. Did you think about it? Yes, I was talked to about it. I was scolded. I was uh, given advice to not have mixed race children. Again, from a family that stands in mixed race children will have a challenge with white humans. They're not seen as white straight. They will also have challenges incorporating into Black communities, because they're also not going to be seen as Black. Moreover, why would you do that? We are a white family. So, I mean, there were lots of pieces. It wasn't just for the, uh, you know, the welfare of my children. It was much more the, the, the view of the family within um, a community. So, yes, first I was considering that I would be giving birth to mixed-race children, before that, though, so about um, three years, two and a half years before that, I met their father, and he had a three-year-old child whose mother is Mexican-American, and my ex-husband is Panamanian. And so I was already stepmother to a mixed-race human, and that already opened up... Um, biggest question that I, or consideration was, what can I do to support a Black child? Now, at that time, this child was a stepchild. It was also a parent um, who identified as Black. No, no. (laughs) So, also a parent inside the home that identified as non-white, which, um, you know, was certainly a different dynamic when he left. But here's one more consideration at some point um, is that um, their father adamantly would say he was not Black. He was not Afro-Latino. He was Panamanian, which I, you know, I think as an immigrant to the United States was probably very um, important to him to identify with. Um, but like many um, Central and um, Car- uh, Caribbean uh, citizen, uh, um, communities, um, there was, you know, he, the father of my children, has a large percentage of West African because of the human trafficking that happened, you know, not that long ago. And so we can talk about Lucian's strong desire to move forward with DNA testing. Once he realized, he actually 
didn't know for a long time that it would say the name of the race, country name that he descended from. And as soon as he found out that he could know a number of his blackness, he needed that. He said that, I need that. I need whatever that is that will tell me if I'm black enough. Oh, I love and it, it was, there was a lot of apprehension, a lot of apprehension, so much desire to get it, but a lot of apprehension uh, to open up the results. Well, and you and I have talked about my DNA test mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. came back 54% European. And you could have told me a whole bunch of stuff about myself. I mean, I have a friend who calls me 54 now. Um, and I'm married to a woman who her people are from West Virginia and Madison, Wisconsin, and she is 95% West African. So her, her, she, I have a wife who her descendants of black women have been fighting off slave masters since 1619. There isn't many folks Mm -hmm. who are, you know, the piece of this that I think for our, our listeners, and I want to get back to what you were saying, but to understand that blackness is like Blackness is a people, right? It's the only mm-hmm. thing we have. So I, that's mm-hmm. why you're never going to hear me say African-American because it's watering mm-hmm. down trauma and the greatest historical tra- tragedy in the history of this world, genocide that people tried against hundreds of millions of people to say, well, you're African. No, we're black. That's all we have, right? We are a different people than a person from Panama. We are a different, but we are this mix of conglomeration, of history, of culture, of difference, and we are all multiracial, right? Because if you look at somebody from Ghana, they do not look like a Black American. They just don't, because we all know that at the end of slavery in 1868 and 1865, that one of the challenges were people with Black African blood outnumbered white folks almost 10 to 1 because Slave Master was just Pornhubbing all over the place, right? And making all of these mixed race children. So none of us, no matter who our biological parents are, Slave Master's in there somewhere. And so mm-hmm. it's part of this mm-hmm. acknowledgement within the community mm-hmm. to say, we will reclaim almost like James Brown, the black power movement and say aloud, I'm black and I'm proud, right? Is that we are going to own that because we have nothing else. We don't know our tribe and our nation and our culture and our language and our history and our religion. But what we can claim is blackness, just like our Hmong brothers and sisters are not from a country. They are a people a people that survived genocide. And so claiming our tribe and our nation as being black is something that no matter who our parents are, we all share together. And that's the piece that you understand so well that you've really helped Lucian with. One of the questions I wanted to ask you, because you talked about, and I want to make sure we get to this, that you know, you grew up in a in a, as you said, self-described cult racist space that was really, you know, really concerned about marrying outside the religion and the race and all the pieces. What about white liberal folks, though, that, you know, mm-hmm. this idea yeah. post Cheerios commercial that mm-hmm. 
multiracial people will ch- change the world. We're, we're going to save the world against all this racism and this proof that everything is going well. We elected a whole multiracial black president and the world hasn't gotten better since the brother was the president. Right. So what do you say to some of the your multiracial friend or your interracial friends who have children and relationships who are in this space of almost color blindness of, well, everything's great and fine now because we have multiracial children, but we aren't unpacking where racism really needs to start. And all the isms need to start is within ourselves, right? What do you say to those folks? Because you are doing your work first and foremost, Sharice, with you. What do you say to those other folks that are just, they don't come from a racist space, but they don't come from an anti-racist space. And they think just because you push a couple brown children out of your body that you don't have any work to do. Thank you. I want to respond to a few things um, here. Um, One thing that I can't quote because I don't have a source, but I will repeat as much as I can is you cannot fuck your way out of racism. So a hundred percent agreed that, just because I do have black children, I am cured of biases or cure or done with my work to be anti-racist and live and work within anti-racism and an anti-racist um, framework. I'm not done. And I think that's the most important thing I can bring forward is I can't be done ever. I will never know as a black mother can approach her children and say, I've been through this shit and here's what I can tell you from my perspective. I can never do that for my children. And that is one of the things that uh, when I met you in 2021 was heaviest on my heart is I had gone for a few years up until that point. And right before the pandemic, I was steeped in this work is finding a mentor for specifically my black son. And um, why it was so important to me, I wanted someone to be able to mentor his maleness, mentor his blackness, mentor his uh, so that he could feel and mirror and see and learn um, from a non-white single mother perspective, right? So I was really also feeling raw about being a single female approaching males and getting over and over um, having an expectation met with um, maybe the assumption is the word I'm looking for. So I have had many experiences and I, um, at least, um, a couple dozen where in conversation with males who I might identify as being a good mentor for my son because of age, identity, location, lived experience, maybe they also have no, a father that's abandoned them or a father that is 
um, an immigrant or for whatever reason, and being met with the assumption that I'd like a relationship. And to find that over and over had made me very salty towards trying to find a male mentor for my son. And it left me back at square one where I said, I can't mentor my son through some of these things. I'm building community, but often the community I'm building, um, especially with um, men that weren't within my friend circle already, made the assumption that I was trying to begin a relationship with them, myself, a romantic entanglement. And so that became daunting. And I ended that pursuit. I want to say to those parents, there are many pieces to this conversation that could be parsed out. You know, single white moms to black children, white moms to black sons, black sons who live with white, white parents, um, where their black parent has left and has not remained contact, uh, when that family, maybe the family of the paternal, their paternal side, also has no contact with them. When there's a language barrier, for example, um, my children's paternal grandparents live in Panama um, and do not speak English. So there's as much as I'm a Spanish speaker and their father's a native Spanish speaker, and they were in bilingual schools. Um, throughout elementary, um, there's still some challenge to, con- you know, to have conversations with Panamanians who have um, rightfully a different dialect than the Spanish they're learning in school. What I want to say here, and I think is very important to say, is I am not an expert. I am here for a conversation. I have a 17-year-old a 14-year-old and a 24-year-old stepdaughter that I've known for 21 years. I am here because these are my considerations and things that are heavy on my heart. They are heart difficult. Sometimes they're emotionally difficult. These are things I can think about all the time and make decisions in my life around these considerations. But I would hope that your listeners, and I know you know this, Adam, and I hope your listeners would also know that at no time would I ever give myself any recognition as an expert on these things. I merely would love to say, here are some of my considerations. I've done some work around what other white parents, specifically white mothers, specifically, specifically single white mothers, what are they doing? What have they said? Who's blogging? Who has a, an account set up to talk about the considerations we have? And I, I, I was met with a lot of advice from Black mothers, which, you know, I want and I read and I appreciate, um, but not a lot of white mothers are speaking to other white mothers. So when people ask, it hasn't happened very often. Sharice, I think the thing that you're saying Because I've often, and just to I also identify those intersexual identities, when I say Black, I mean the diaspora, so Afro-Latino. And we want to also be recognizing 
we have queer and non-binary and those intersects mm. are really, mm-hmm. really important, right? And it's and that is a different experience as a non-binary Afro-Latina or Latino person, Latinx person. Those are different challenges. The piece that I always talk about with, with race, just with race, is growing up as a child of an addict. Admit I'm powerless over alcohol and my life has become unmanageable, right? right? That that's the first step. But the re- challenge oftentimes is do that, that that work of getting clean and staying clean, right, is a one day at a time endeavor. And the challenge oftentimes that I've seen as a product of interracial life is that the addicts who then have children of color don't feel like they have an addiction. Well, because I've had all these children, right? Or I have this diverse family. It becomes the ultimate black friend, right? Well, I can't, you can't call me a a homophobe because my cousin is gay. Well, what what is it? So it becomes not even your excuse that you use verbally or consciously. It just becomes the excuse And one of the things that we've noticed since the Cheerios commercial, right, is that you can't Mm -hmm. stream or turn on TV or ads without seeing. Now it's become more and more black women with white men. The truth is 91 percent of black women in our country are married to black men and 87 percent of black men are married to black women. But what we do and the reason marketers do this is because it makes white people feel good that they don't feel bad so if i see this interracial relationship and it just because of the fear and the animalistic um perpetuation of black men now it's overwhelmingly black women on commercials with white men and on movies and, te- and there's nothing wrong with that but the reality is that is not what America is overwhelmingly. But you see the psyche of it because marketers have researched our psychology. And if you don't feel bad, you don't you feel good psychologically that you don't feel bad, then you go out and buy a hamburger, right? Well, I didn't have a knee-jerk reaction when I saw that. So I felt good about that product. So I bought it. And so this this whole concept of the thing that I appreciate about you so much is that you start with yourself. You are doing your own work. When people asked me when George Floyd was murdered, what book can I read? What can I do? And my only answer is start working on yourself. Well, uh, no, I want to do something bigger. No, start working on yourself. This is your addiction, affliction. It's mine. It's everybody's. How do we then unpack that? So the piece that I I think you've talked about that is so important is how it is a deeply personal journey for you as a parent that starts with you every day checking yourself and your stuff and your biases and your own things to make sure that you can be the same mama bear for your multiracial black children as a mother, a mama bear would be for children who are white. One of the things when you asked me in that first conversation, what can I do? And I said, use some of that white privilege to help those whole black kids in the school, 
right? Give some of that white mom energy in a good way because you step into a space differently in your kid's school than your son's classmates who have black moms and black dads. So are there things you can do that just aren't fighting to protect your child not to be treated differently because of their race, but is also that same energy applied to other children of similar race. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely makes sense. And I think um, I, I have heard this narrative from you before because I know that I've paused to consider that. I think it also moved me to... Um, come to his eighth grade year this past year differently. Do you want me to talk about what has worked for me, Adam? Please do, okay. yes. Even though I can tell you I am not an expert, there have been things that I have pulled from my, um, my relationships with Black mothers from, my, from training in DEI work through my professional life I pulled some things out that, and I'm continuing to learn. That's the other piece that I think we've addressed is there is no stopping. My children are going through different stages at all times. People are viewing them differently. My son is entering a time where he will soon be seen as a threat because of his size and his race. So this learning to be a white mother to a black son and a white mother to a black non-binary child doesn't stop. But it's evolving for them. It will evolve for me. But things that have worked for me so far, and I imagine things will change as I have strived and I, I know that um, we have in the home emphasized open communication. And um, sometimes my older child feels a little too comfortable with communicating all their business to their mother, but open communication, I consistently ask questions and I try to listen. Now, Adam, you and I both know I'm not great at listening. I really love to talk. Um, but in this particular thing, I have made emphasis to slow down, ask questions, listen and see, is my impact hurtful? I may have great intentions in raising my children, in speaking with my children, in incorporating Blackness into our homes. But if that impact is in any way hurtful or not feeling good, then, you know, I need to consistently check in. So we do include Blackness and culture and uh, Black people into our bookshelves, the art on our walls, the movies we watch. Um, we make special emphasis to attend Black craft markets. Um, for example, last Christmas, when we went to two or three, we attended uh, craft shows here in Portland. Uh, we only we made an effort to only buy from Black uh, Black um, artisans. We as a family. Um, Definitely also emphasize Panamanian um, culture. I am not Panamanian. I have visited Panama. Um, I speak Spanish as a, a, a fluent communicator. I mean, frankly, I'm a divorced person. <laughs> you know, 
it was it, for some time difficult for me to tap in to that piece of their culture because I didn't want anything to do with it. Mm. And now I, with all reverence and respect, bring in, hey, this is a Panamanian man. Oh my God, did, did you know that this person was raised near your father's home? Or we visited Puerto Rico about a year ago and we visited a neighborhood that had the same name as the neighborhood that your father was raised in. So connections to that piece of, you know, as much as I am not an expert in that, and frankly, it can be a little hurtful because of how that relationship played out. We talk about politics, policies, and laws that affect um, Black people, police re reactions to Black humans, and especially Black men. I think giving tips and the things that you're doing are, those are really, really powerful lessons and reflections. And I think in the case that you're saying, you know, being willing to say, and what I would is someone who cares about you, loves you, loves your kids, mm -hmm. you, you're, you are an expert because you're living mm -hmm. the work, right? I mean, you. you don't have to be a researcher. You, you are the research, you are the researched, <laughs> right? One of the mm -hmm. things that you're bringing up that's really excellent when you're talking about your son, because I've, I have a son and I can tell you the time he was suspended and I got a call from the school yeah. and he was about the same mm -hmm. age, you know, shout out mm -hmm. to Jawanza Kanjufu, right? Um, the, the conspiracy to destroy black boys. If you need a good read, uh, anything by Dr. Kanjufu, it's amazing. Um, but it talks about the time when black boys shift between being cute to the school mm -hmm. and then they become the threat, right? They become aggressive and right. intimidating. And I found out I was I was recruiting um, when I was coaching college football and I was on the road and I got a call that he had been suspended and he talked to the police yep. officer and he admitted to doing what uh. he did. And what they said he did was choked this girl. I said, wait, whoa, my son, I wish the brother would defend himself a little bit. He didn't choke anybody. What happened? And so he admitted, oh, yeah, I did. Well, what happened was this was a girl who had been calling our house and they were, you know, liking each other. And the girl in the hallway knocked the books out of his hand. He went running past her, running to catch her like kids do and caught her and grabbed her from behind around her, you know, around here. And his, his arm slipped under her neck and she didn't choke. A teacher saw a black boy choking a white girl. And before you know it, the kid who was just playing with a friend went and was, well, he's told the police, I turned the car around, went and talked to the school and said, you aren't, you aren't suspending this boy. And I think the difference is in what you're describing is I know that your energy isn't of what some white parents of black children do is this this fine line between you aren't going to treat my child different because they're race and you aren't going to treat my child like just another N word. I think that is the difference. Right. You're not going to treat my child like them because they have whiteness and I, my child isn't going to be treated like an N. No, nobody should be treated like an N. 
and you would be fighting for anyone's child in those spaces. And it's the one thing that I have continued to employ you as somebody I care about and love and everyone else, my own mother, right? You have to be an active anti-racist for everyone's child and for everything. Otherwise, do not have multiracial children. Because what are you? What then? What are you doing to make the grant your grandchildren's world a better place? My grandchildren's world a better place, right? What you're doing is just living a life and making pretty kids. Well, and then you're going to apply energy to racism that's only exhibited to them, which is often construed by someone like me as, well, you just don't want them treated like me. I can't tell you the racist things that have happened to me in my life or when I've been targeted in professional spaces and that people with Black children were often the people that did it. And I would sit and think, don't you have kids that look like, what's going to happen in 15 years when your kid is being targeted and called aggressive and intimidating in a workspace and being given, you know, whatever the stuff that comes at us in workspaces and workplace racial trauma, right? And I would always wonder, don't you have a Black husband and Black kids? And so, why are you just sitting by or why are you on the side of the wrong? Why wouldn't you be on the side of the guy who looks just like your children? Those authority figures are not seeing your friends and you in the same way. And it's important you know that. Sharice, thank you so much for your time for your energy, for your work, um, for who you are as a mother, as a human, a friend. Please know how much I love you, how much I appreciate you. Tell my guy, Lucian, he's got some fly kicks. I have a kick problem, my wife would say. I'm a kickaholic. Um, I just ordered some custom Nike dunks in Viking colors. So I, I tend to struggle. I tend to struggle. So yeah. um, tell him that if he ever needs uh, shoe advice, I. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm sick. I'm sick. Thank you okay. so much for sharing your time, your journey, your advice. And let's be honest, your expertise with us today. Thank you so much. Very generous. Very generous. I appreciate you, Adam. And I right back at you. I love you. You've changed my life. And I am so grateful for you to have invited me. I do want to say I have talked to about 2% of what I'd like to say today. And it just, again, for me, reiterates, this is so complex um, and so delicate and so important um, for me to know how to do and to start a conversation of how can I do it better and what are people doing that work and what are people who have white mothers, what can they tell me doesn't work? So mm. thank you for starting the conversation. Thanks for the invitation, Adam. And as always, invite me back, okay? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode of Get Uncomfortable. Get Uncomfortable is produced in partnership between me, Rachel Hansen, and Adam Smith. If you want to hear more from Adam, visit his website, hearadamspeak.com, 
where you can book him to speak at your organization and hear more about what he has to say about what we talk about here on the show. Now, if you want to support the show itself, there are a variety of ways that you can do that. You can leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts, send us an email, or share an episode with a friend. Until next time, stay uncomfortable.